Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Thank you so much, band. We really, really appreciate you guys. Thank you, team at the back as well. We don't often enough, so it's thanks to them, to that Charles and Devet serving there today. We really love you guys, appreciate you. Matthew chapter 6. I want us to read from Scripture this morning, and the great news is you don't even need the screen. You don't need your Bibles. You probably know this already, and I'm going to start reading, and you can read with me for Matthew chapter 6, pray then like this, our Father, you can read with me out loud, in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hey, you were surprised, you know scripture better than you thought you did. Matthew chapter 6, and we've been speaking, just a, a quick recap a little bit about stepping into God's purpose, stepping firstly into His love, and from His love, stepping into His purpose, the purpose to which He has called us, the purpose that He holds before us, and speaking about this in a variety of different ways, sort of the first part of the year, really just spending time stepping into His love, but the last month or two, the Lord's really begun to speak to us about purpose and His voice. A couple of weeks ago, we spoke about the fact that when God speaks to us, and I think Dylan, the wrestling that they went through as they sort of stepped into this would definitely be able to associate with us. God's Word often is very inconvenient and very intimidating, but it's always inspiring. When God comes, He doesn't call us to the comfortable places that we had dreamt in our hearts to, and we spoke about that. And Many of us responded, and we prayed for, and I know God's been working in our hearts around that. We spoke a couple of weeks before that about the different seeds that Jesus sows, and He sows into our lives, and some of the seed falls by the wayside, and some of the seed falls in the stony ground, and then some of the seed grows, but then it is crowded out by the cares of this world. We spend a lot of time ministering and praying with one another about some of the cares of this world that steal our fruitfulness. Because that's what that scripture says. Those seeds or those plants become unfruitful because they're cried out as weeds by the cares of this world. And God has been doing, I think, a bit of de-weeding. We invited Him in as, as the gardener. And that's sort of a part of the journey we're on. And as we're on this journey, I think many of us, we've begun to wrestle and we've prayed this prayer, this beautiful prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then this phrase, which is so easy to say, your kingdom come, your will be done. So great to pray, and hopefully we pray that regularly. We pray, God, let your will be done in this meeting as we're about to walk into a meeting at the office. God, let your will be done as we're, guys, maybe going to have a coffee with a lady, you know. God, let your will be done as we send our kids to school in the morning. God, let your will be done. Let your will be done. And then there's this, this little truth that sometimes sticks its nasty head out 
in Isaiah chapter 5, 55, we're reminded that my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so there's this truth of conflicting wills, different wills. That most of us, when we're sitting here, we're praying, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. As, as genuine as we are in our hearts, in our saying that, the chances are we probably don't really know what we are praying for. We're saying, God, let your will be done, and we're thinking according to our understanding. And then as we pray into that, as we press into that, we begin to realize, but wait a minute, what I thought was God's will was perhaps my will. What I thought God wanted to do in this situation, what He was going to do, what He wanted to say, how He was wanting to move is not what He was wanting to do. And that brings about this, this challenge, this tearing, this tension inside of us. I remember, I think I actually speak about it in a bit more length on one of the Relationship Week messages that are on the relationship, our Relationship Podcast I remember entering into a relationship as a, a student, 20, 21-year-old, and going into the relationship, and I heard the still, small voice of the Lord say, no, this isn't what you want. But I was like, God, this is what I want, and silenced his voice, went through a lot of hurt and trauma because of that, not trauma is perhaps a strong word, but in a relationship that didn't work out, and the pain that comes from a relationship that that doesn't end up in, in marriage. And having to go through all of that and lots of tears, and I was lecturing at the university at that stage. And I remember it was the winter when we broke up. And anyone who's ever been in the Western Cape in the winter knows it's not the most pleasant place always to be at. And I still lectured for about a week wearing sunglasses. Walked around on campus in cold, rainy weather just because I didn't want people to see how red my eyes were. And there was this, this wrestling, this struggle of, God, I've got a will, and God was, but I've got a will. And I, I was praying, God, let your will be done. But what it actually meant was, God, let my will be done. And as we begin to press into God's will, and as we begun in these last few weeks and months to press into God's purposes, I think some of us have begun to wrestle with this reality that God's will and my will doesn't align. We spoke a, a while ago about the mission of day, God's mission, God's plan, that it's not so much that God has a mission for His church, but God is a church for His mission. God is a mission. God has a plan. God is into sending, into changing, into redeeming, and He raises up His church to fulfill His mission, not the other way around. And we've been speaking about this, about embracing God's mission, God's plan, God's purpose for our lives. And I like to think that as we've been praying that, as we've been saying that, as we've been working through those in our small groups, we've really been genuine in our hearts. But I also know that if we have been genuine in our hearts, we've found some places where God's begun to speak to us about His purpose and about His will which doesn't align with my purpose and with my will. 
once again casting my eyes back to, to when I was a student. I remember sitting in a small group, one of the very first small groups ever that I went to, just after I came to Christ. And at that stage, I was studying finance and a whole bunch of sort of in, in that line. And we sat in a small group and we spoke about what do you think God is wanting to do with your life? And I remember sitting there saying, I'm going to go into business and probably work at a bank. And I remember kind of, I was saved by then, but been saved for a couple of weeks, if not months, and sort of realized that this was all about the glory of God and, and make lots of money for the kingdom. I remember saying that. And yet, as I look back over the course of my life, that was clearly not God's will for my life. It was very much my will, but it wasn't His will. I also think, looking back at that small group, I don't think God was sitting up in heaven looking down at me all upset, saying, oh, Philip is so much into his own will. He's got his own plan for his life. I must rebuke him, and, you know, we must put judgment in his life to bring correction. I think, as I said, that God probably just smiled. Probably it was just, well, I've got a surprise for you. I was challenged about this idea of God's will. I, I mentioned this, I think, a couple of weeks ago as well when I was speaking to Titch and Joan Smith, um, who started Live Villages in Durban. We were just there a couple of weeks ago and sat with, with them for one morning, and, and Joan was there for a part of the morning. And she said that one of the questions that she gets asked often is, what would have, what would have happened to these orphans if Titch and Joan hadn't said yes, said yes to start the live village and go through the whole process and get those orphans together. And Joan's answer is, when people ask, where, where would these kids have been? Joan's answer is, they would have been in the village. Because if God didn't use us, he would have used someone else. If we hadn't done what God was calling us to do, God would have used somebody else to do what God was wanting to do. And there's an element of, of truth to that, that, that God's purposes are going to come to pass. And so we're often caught in this place where we are wrestling with God's will and my will, and they're not the same. We begin to enter into this place where we start praying, God, I want to see your kingdom come. God, I want to surrender. Who's prayed this before? God, I want to surrender my life to your purpose. Anyone who's ever prayed that before? Okay, we'll pray with the rest of us after. That's a really great prayer to pray. God, I surrender my life to your purpose. And we think we know exactly what that means and what that looks like. And I think God is probably looking over you like he was looking over me and just smiling. Just saying, boy, have I got a surprise for you. But it is so much better. So as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. They're different. They're not the same. They might Three key touch points along the way. But it's different. God's plan for your life looks nothing like your plan for your life. It's so much better than you could ever imagine. And so I, I want us just for a moment to zoom into Jesus because we often miss this when we read Matthew 26, when we read Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. We read it, and it's a, a great encouragement for us to prayer. I've spoken a message that I've spoken two or three times that I've preached even in, in our congregation here, that, you know, Jesus believes in the power of the prayer of His disciples. He believes that their prayer over there changes something over here. 
he's upset with them for not praying. Normally, we look at sort of this passage through that lens. Today, I want us to look at it a little bit through the lens of our will. So Matthew 26, Jesus speaks, and Jesus went out with them. That's with the 12. They've just had the Last Supper. They've had this great meal together. He's washed their feet. They've had a great meal. He's shared with them a whole stack of truths about things um, pertaining to the kingdom. And then he goes out to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go there, over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee, Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and he found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed. My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same things again. And something that when we read this passage this morning should jump out at us is that Jesus and the Father had different wills. That even right here, we see the Godhead in all its glory in a way that we could never understand how this is possible. But Jesus wrestling with the will, which is not the will of the Father. I don't know when Jesus became aware of the Father's will for his life on this earth. It's one of those conundrums I don't think we'll, we'll ever exactly understand how this happened. Because Jesus was born as an infant. He had to learn to speak. He had to learn human things, just like any human. He was 100% God, but he was 100% human as well. I wonder if Mary ever had to raise her voice at Jesus. I wonder if he was like this perfect toddler who just ate all his food when it was meant. He never spat it out. He never messed. He didn't need to be potty trained. It just happened naturally. When mom said it's time to go to bed, Jesus went to bed. When mom said it's time to eat, Jesus ate. I wonder. I doubt it. Just as a little aside, can you imagine, for those of us who have parents, we maybe wrestled with this, that there was a time in your life when somebody told you, you have to eat now and you have to go to bed now. Eh? How things have changed. Imagine now someone steps into your life, you have to eat now, here's the food. Thank you. You have to go to bed now. Okay, cheers. Huh? That would be great, wouldn't it? But I wonder, Jesus, Jesus, he's, he's growing up, and I, mean, I wonder what it was like being in class with Jesus. Was he the guy who got straight, not he didn't get straight, he got 100% for everything, because he's omniscient. But he's human as well. And so there's this tension, and at some stage, Jesus, in his humanity, becomes aware of the fact that he is the Son of God. Not a son of God, the son of God. We know 
when he was 12 years old, his parents, how's that? Great parenting. Mary can't find her son for three days. Imagine parents, you go to the mall. Three days later, you realize, I haven't seen my kid. This is Mary and Jesus. Can you imagine Mary's prayers in that moment? Just rewind back 12 years. An angel appears to her and says, the hope of the world you are going to give birth to. This immaculate, she knows this kid is special from day one. Twelve years later, she's like, um, Godfather, oops, I lost the hope of the world. I don't know where he is. We're all meant to be traveling. Jesus isn't here. They go looking for him. They find him back in Jerusalem, sitting in the temple. He says, I am about my father's business. Where else did you think I would be? So, so there's some awareness of who he is at that stage. And obviously this develops over time as he, as he grows in, let's just call it human maturity. And then at some stage, I don't know where, at some stage it dawns on him that his fate in life is to die and carry the sin of the world. At, at some moment, I'm not sure when that is. His ministry starts and he, he goes into the desert. For 40 days, he fasts. And for 40 days, he's separated. At the end of that, the devil comes and, and tempts him with three crucial temptations, tempting his spirit, his soul, and his body in three different ways. And I'm pretty sure that by the end of this stage, Jesus already knew what his purpose was. One of them is the enemy comes to tempt him and he says, if you will bow before me, I will." he takes him up on, the, on a high hill and he shows him all the kingdoms of the earth. And he says, if you will just worship me, bow before me, depending on the translation you look at, I will give all of this to you. What is the temptation in that? I think the temptation is Jesus knows he has to pay the price to buy that back. Otherwise, there's no temptation. Jesus knows that maybe he doesn't know exactly what the cross is going to look like, but he knows that this is why I have come. And this is why this is such an immense temptation. Why else would Jesus be tempted to bow before the devil? Just think about that for a moment. If it's a temptation, that it's temptation. Never smoked in my life. God's been gracious to me about that. Never had a temptation for a smoke. If someone puts a pack of cigarettes here in front of me, there is zero desire in me for that. There's no temptation. But maybe if someone came and opened up a pack of jelly sweets and put some jelly tots or something here on the table, opened it up, made one or two of them like fall out. The temptation is the temptation. There's something in me that desires that. So the devil comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, bow before me, and there is something in Jesus that says, maybe this is a good idea. You guys get that? There's a, there's a real temptation happening here. And what is the temptation? The temptation is all the kingdoms of the earth will be given to you. Why is that a temptation? Because there's a cross that lies before him. That he has to go through. There's pain that he has to go through. And so Jesus is going through his adult life wrestling with this fact that he's got a will and the Father's got a will. The Father, maybe the end goal of theirs is, is the same, but isn't there some way we can bypass this really tricky bit in the middle? 
And so Jesus beginning to enter into the purpose of the Father for his life is wrestling with this reality. And it comes to the point at Gethsemane where he goes and he wrestles with God around it. In the same way, you and I, as we're wrestling with the purposes for God for our purposes of God for our lives. I think the first thing that I, I want us really to hear this morning, it's okay. If this morning you feel God is saying, this is your purpose for your life, this is His will, and you're praying into that same situation and you're saying, but God, I've got another will, that's okay. It's okay, and I can say it's okay because it was okay for Jesus to have a different will to the Father. It's not okay to stay there. It's not okay to end there. We'll get to that in a moment. But it's okay to start there. It's okay to start with the fact that, God, you have ways, and God, I have ways. And your ways are higher than my ways. It doesn't mean I don't have ways. It doesn't mean I don't have a will. It doesn't mean I don't have a desire. It doesn't mean I don't have dreams. It doesn't mean I don't have a, a way in which I think my life should go. It's just, God, yours is higher than mine. And I'm not necessarily deliberately against yours. It's just that yours are different to mine. I'm willing to bring that. You guys remember we spoke about Paul a while ago who was still Saul and he got knocked off his horse or his donkey or whatever he happened to be traveling on. And he's lying on the ground. And Jesus speaks to him. And his response, I always love his response whenever I see this. He's like, yes, Lord. Who are you, Lord? He says to him. Jesus says to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, and I know he was meant to be a really, really holy, religious person, but I think if there was one moment in, at that stage, Saul's life in which he swore, it was that moment. He's <laughs> like, oops, what have I done with my life? And then Jesus says to him, it is hard for you to kick against the goats. And most of us read that and we carry on and we don't figure out what does this actually mean, and Explain to us that a goat is a cattle prod. What is God saying to Paul? Paul, you're going in a direction. Your will is not the same as my will. And in that moment, Saul has a conversion, and his will becomes aligned, not completely, not 100%, but aligned to the will of God. And he begins to minister as a follower of Jesus. And so here we see Jesus with the same, Jesus carrying this tension. I don't know for how long in his life, I'm pretty convinced that at least from when he came out of the desert up to Gethsemane, he carried this tension in his life. That he had a will and the Father had a will. And they didn't quite perfectly align. That there were things that Jesus wanted that the Father didn't want. And vice versa. And throughout that whole period, the Father, I think, was okay with it. And so the first thing that I want us to see is if you're sitting here and you're wrestling with the will of God for your life and how God's will doesn't seem to align with your will, that's okay. God isn't upset with you. God isn't angry with you. God isn't going to judge you because right now you've got a different will for your life than He's got for your life. But So what do we do? We do a couple of things and we see Jesus doing the most important one here. He goes to pray. He brings it before the Father in prayer. He doesn't just ignore it. He doesn't just say, well, my will is different to the God the Father's will and so be it. 
Now he goes and he brings it before God in, in a type of wrestling prayer. We say something similar with Jacob before he becomes Israel. Jacob is leaving the people who he'd be living with for a while, and he sends the family away, and he's all alone by himself for one night. And that night, he wrestles with God. The next morning, they wrestle through the night. The next morning, as they're wrestling through the night, the next morning, God says to him, well, leave me. And Jacob's, no, I'm not going to leave you until you bless me. And in that moment, a new nation is born, and Jacob becomes Israel. And everything that flows from that, there's a place of wrestling we enter into. We see Jesus says, yeah, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death, he says. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, a different translation says. I think in the Mark version, it says his sweat became like, blood, like drops of blood. He's in emotional turmoil because of his wrestling with God. He's wrestling with the Father about the Father's will for his life. So what do we do when our, our will is different to the will of the Father? We begin to wrestle. We wrestle alone. So often, and obviously speaking with a lot of young people, pray with me. We trust in God really to, to get back onto campus in a significant way in this coming semester. But in, in years past, with all of those young people, so many of them wrestling with us and one of the questions I often get is, what is God's will for my life? And I've got a standard answer for that. And it's the right answer and it's the honest answer. I don't know. And I cannot know and I will not know because you need to wrestle with God. And, and what we're looking for a little bit is we're looking for somebody else to come and wrestle and tell me what God is saying. Not saying I won't pray with you. Not saying I'm going to be alongside you. But we see Jesus here go away alone and pray. We see Jacob goes, he doesn't go alone. He happens to be alone. And in that aloneness, God meets him. There's a place of wrestling between us and God where we have to be alone. We don't have to necessarily process it alone. That's one of the reasons why small group is so important because it is so easy to become deceived and to think we heard God and now we start running on a plug and we're not listening, allowing anyone to speak into that. But what we have to do is we have to go and sit alone with God and wrestle and wrestle and wrestle. And then what do we do? We bring that back to our small group. We bring that back to our accountability partners. We say, this is what I think God is saying to me. Will you pray with me? Does this sound like God to you? And then you go back and you wrestle alone again. And there's this interaction. And for Jesus, this was a three-year process. And even this very end, this last night, it's three times that he goes. He goes to pray. He goes back to his friends. He goes to pray. He goes back to his friends. He goes to pray. And it's interesting for me because three times Scripture says he prays the same prayer. He didn't pray it and go back and pray something else. He prays, if it will, if it possible, let this cup depart from me. But not my will, your will be done. And I don't think it was a 10-second prayer because 
I've got a gift of sleep, but even 10 seconds is a lot for me. Because he goes back and his disciples are sleeping. He wakes them up. He says, guys, I need you to pray with me. And then he goes and he prays that same prayer again. God, if it's possible, take this cup. God, our wills aren't aligning. If there's some way, Father, to change your will, can we change your will somehow? But nevertheless, not my will. Your will be done. He goes back to his disciples. They're asleep again. He goes back and he prays the same prayer again. It is okay to pray the same prayer again. It is okay to keep wrestling and wrestling and wrestling and wrestling until you get to the place of surrender. We have to learn to wrestle with God around purpose. Some things of God's purpose, for us it's easy. We go into a prayer moment and we come out and we've heard God speaking to us. Boom, yes. And we're like Abraham, early the next morning, you know, we go. There are other things which like Jesus here, yeah, we need to wrestle with. God, you want me to give that up? But God, I've, I've studied 17 years, Lord. I've worked towards where I am now. 17 years, Jesus. Jesus, do you know how long 17 years is? Yeah, it's like 0.41 seconds or something. <laughs> 17 years I've given, Jesus. My whole adult life, I've surrendered to this, and now you want me to give this up. Isn't there another way? No, not really. We go out of that, and tomorrow we're back, and we're praying the same prayer, and the same prayer, and the same prayer. And we keep wrestling. Can I just put in here, there is a difference between wrestling and being disobedient. There's a heart's attitude difference. There's one with, I know this is what God is saying, I must go, but I refuse. It's different to Jesus. This is hard for me. I'm I want to do this. I want to follow you. Nevertheless, let your will be done. But right now, where my heart is at, it's hard in this place. I'm not going to obstruct it. I want to go. I just don't know how, Jesus. There's a big difference between that and just a no, a disobedience, a rebelliousness that wants to come. So I'm, I'm not excusing rebelliousness. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying when God says go left and I go right, then God's okay with the fact that I'm going right and I'm disobeying him. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if God says left and I'm saying go right, then I'm like, but God, are you sure left? God, left is hard. God, have you seen what left looks like? Right is easy. Right is great. No, left, left, left. And we wrestle with it. And we wrestle with it until we come to this beautiful place of, of surrender. Matthew 16, a, a passage which I think we would do well to spend more time on in our own, our own times of prayer and of worship our own times of Bible study. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must take up your dreams, follow your heart, and fulfill your desires. It's amazing how that's become the mantra of the modern church sometimes, though. It must become just the best me that I can be. And yet Jesus says that's not quite how it works. You see, if you want to follow me, you must give up your own way. Why? Because I've got my way. 
take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you, gave, if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? What Jesus is holding before us here is exactly what he goes through in his life. He's exactly the one where I think perhaps when he's wrestling there with the Father, maybe this is something of what the Father is saying to him. Jesus, if you want to find fulfillment, if you want to find your life, you need to lose it. If you want to find your purpose, you need to lose it. The important thing here is don't just lose it. Don't throw it away. Don't just be ridiculous and say, well, I've got my plan. I'm going to throw it out the wayside and wait for God's plan to come across my path. That's not the way to go about this either. It's not what he is saying. What he is saying is the way that he's going to lead us is probably different to the way that we expect him to lead us. The way that he's going to lead us doesn't look like the way we think think it's going to look like. The way He's going to lead us isn't the way that we ourselves would necessarily have chosen. We must give up our own way to follow Him. We must take up His cross, the cross that He holds before us, and there's pain, there's suffering in that journey. But then He says this, but if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Some other translations say, if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. And so what we need to bear in mind as we wrestle through this is not that we have a God up in heaven who is bad and evil and He just wants to come and spoil our party. No, as a matter of fact, what He wants to come and is He wants us to walk in the life that He has prepared for us. He wants us to find life. I want to just reflect back for a moment, just because it's a recent conversation. It's a conversation I had with Titch Smith, the guy from Liv. Prayed, played cricket for some of the South African teams, played rugby for Natal. Was living the life as a young man. And now he says as a 70-odd-year-old man, he says these last 15 years of his life, or however long it's been since he started Live Village, have been the most exciting, fulfilling moments of his life that he could ever imagine. He says all of that stuff that he was able to do in the eyes of this world, that the world looks up to, has, doesn't even come close to the life he's living now, walking in what he believes to be what God's called him to do. And so when Jesus comes and when he invites us, when Jesus comes and he says, my will is different to your will, he's not just saying it's different. He's also saying it's better. It might not be more comfortable. It might not be more luxurious. It might not be a bigger house and a bigger car and a bigger salary. That's not what he is saying. But he's saying there's a soul satisfaction that awaits us when we walk in what He has called us to do. 
And so this morning, I want to encourage us, those of us who are wrestling, who for these last few months have been praying about stepping into the purposes of God for our lives, we've probably been wrestling with some of those purposes seem to look different to the purposes that I had. When I started 2023 and I made my list of goals for this year and I wrote down my plans, the stuff that God's speaking to me about now aren't in there. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. God isn't coming to steal your joy and your dream and your hope. He's coming to fulfill it. He's coming to lead you in the life that only He can give. He's wanting to tear you away. And that's why I think some of these things that God's been tearing us away, these cares of this world, He's been tearing us away from them because He wants to release us so we can say yes to where He wants us. And so some of us are stuck in Gethsemane. That's a great place to be stuck in. You don't want to be stuck in there forever, but we need to be stuck in there at some stage. We need to be stuck there. Jesus comes to a, a young man. The Bible calls him a rich young ruler. I remember this passage really well because this is the passage that God used when he, he spoke to me to step into ministry. He says to this rich young ruler, this guy who has the world at his feet. Imagine today, if you are 25 or 30 year old, whatever young is in your mind, what are the things that the world says you need? Wealth. He's a rich ruler. He's young. He's got age, the whole life on his side. He's a ruler. He's got power. He's got authority. Most 20, 21-year-olds would say, when I'm 30, those are the things that I want. Those are the desires. Those are what the world would have us aspire to. And what does Jesus say to him? Sell it all. Give it to the poor. Come and follow me. And then scripture says that man left exceedingly sorrowful. He had to go and wrestle. The church history says we can't confirm this, but that man was called Barnabas and became Paul's travel companion. And that's a really nice story. And I, I hope it's to be true. I don't know that it is. But it might be. We don't know what happened to that man that night when he went and wrestled sorrowful. Someone once said, Jesus says that I, will, I shall tell you the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But first, it will make you very sad. First, it will make you very sorrowful. First, we have to wrestle with the truth. And so I don't know where you are. I don't know where God is wrestling with you or where you are wrestling with God about, God, I've got a plan, and God says, but I've got a plan. And he's like, God, but my plan's better. Let's be honest. God, we, we negotiate with God a little bit, don't we? We're like, God, if there's some way for this cup, God, have, there's a better cup. God, have you thought? God, 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 just sit down for a moment. You have not thought about this. I've got the great plan for this. God, if we go this way around, then we get to do all of this other stuff too. You just want to do this to Jesus. This is so much better, isn't it? God's sitting there and he's smiling and he's like, no. He lets us wrestle with that, and we need to work through that, and we need to get that all out of our system. He's not upset with us. He's not angry with us. He's willing to wrestle as long as it takes until we get to that place where Jesus is. And he is, God, even right now, this isn't quite my will, but I'm still going to surrender 
to your world. We're going to do this your way, Jesus. Can we stand? I'd love for us to pray together this morning. And guess what? I can stand with us now. Things are getting better. So Jesus, this morning we want to thank you that you have come to be the ultimate example, Lord. And Jesus, even that as we wrestle, we thank you that you are not unsure what it's like to wrestle because you yourself wrestled. Lord, you have compassion with us in our weaknesses, Lord, because you suffered those same weaknesses. And so right now, Jesus, we bring our hearts and we bring our will, Lord. And we acknowledge your will is higher than our will. Your will is different to our will. Your ways are different to our ways, Lord. And Lord, the area where right now our will and your will doesn't align, God, we ask for grace in the wrestling, Jesus. We ask, Lord, for strength within our spirits that we may press in, Lord. We ask for time to be alone, to wrestle with you, Lord, to cry out what we need to cry out, Lord, to sweat what we need to sweat. Lord, we ask for James and John and Peters to stay awake, that they would even pray with us in this time. God, we honestly do say, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Lord, as hard as it is and as difficult as it seems, we still want your will to be done, Lord. We want to find that life by losing it for your sake. We want to take up our cross, Lord. We deny ourselves and we want to follow you, Jesus. But there are moments when that is so hard, Lord. And we pray for grace in that wrestling to come to surrender. Lord, to walk away from the careers we've been building, Jesus. The dreams we've had since childhood, Lord. The expectations our families have placed upon us. To move them all aside in some way and to say, Lord, nevertheless, let your will be done. for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria.